used for animal fodder and, and have been in many countries, including the uh, shore versions of, of India for, you know, hundreds of years for, for food and animal fodder. And also biomass, uh, which does not use fresh water and arable land, massive amounts of biomass for uh, biofuels. And also the biomass can be used for uh, chemical feedstock to replace petroleum for plastics. In, in terms so are you saying that we food, could have a we could have a halophyte based uh, substance that replaces the use of plastics? You can have a plastic that's based on halophytes instead of petroleum. And, and okay, so it wouldn't chemical, have the non-biodegradable problems we have with petroleum-based plastics. Uh, you can produce plastics from this biomass. To, to you know, to have any any properties that you want. Mm-hmm. Okay, chemistry can mm-hmm. do that. It, it's it's Understood. just a matter, of, you know, which you know which plastics are used when for what uh, is often as much a matter of uh, financial uh, as it is chemical capability. Okay, so it's All usually right. more based on financial expediency and profit than it is on exactly. the ability to create biodegradable materials. Okay. Uh, in terms of food, halophyte agriculture, using ultra-cheap land and saline seawater, this would ensure using little f- fertilizer that we will ne- you know, not run out of food for many hundreds of years. Uh, the current arable land is some 11% of the land, and I just said previously that uh, the deserts and wastelands where we can grow halophytes is 44% of the land. So, therefore, this is four times more land than the current arable land where we do freshwater agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, deserts, wastelands, and seawater is really the last major natural resource available to humans on Earth, and it's a really massive one. Uh, nominally, halophyte nutritional value is similar to freshwater plants, uh, except that seawater contains trace nutrients like selenium that we now have to take in vitamin form because we have denuded these trace elements from the current arable land. We've overused the arable land. When so, you uh, irrigate the seawater, you get these back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then, growing halophytes. uh, Are there some examples that are commonly known, Dennis, that are halophytes, but known by other names? uh, That are in our food supply right now. uh, The most expensive food, uh, green food in Europe and and particularly in the Netherlands, uh, uh, is a halophyte. Uh, I'm not, a, you know, I haven't kept up with the current, the commercial names of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but 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 uh, halophytes are nascent in terms of you know going to the store and buying them now. Probably the the, the most prevalent halophyte is the fact that uh, the Japanese have been eating seaweed for a long time. All right, seaweed is a halophyte. It, it, it just grows in the ocean instead of on land. Yes. So you've okay. got land-based and you've got sea-based. Algae, that, yeah. I would imagine, is one of the I'm talking about the land-based. Well. You, you, know, you can always mm-hmm. do aquaculture and, and, and do, do a sea-based also. Uh, yes. Growing halophytes is essentially the same as freshwater farming, except, as I said, far less fertilizer is needed. And you also have to add some 35% more water, seawater, cheap water, to flush the salt back into the sandy soils, and it eventually goes back into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the potential food-generating uh, capacity uh, exceeds by a factor of four what, you know, what we now produce. Uh, and uh, th- th- there is, of course, far more uh, seawater than there, <laughs> than there is freshwater. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you asked me, you know, what were the downsides? Uh, yes. The, one is... Are there downsides? And if so, yeah, what are yeah. they? Right? Uh, 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 one is there are no current seed catalogs, you know, like the burpee seed catalogs, that, mm-hmm. that the people can, can 
you know, go on the web, buy the seeds, and grow halophytes. Uh, the halophytes are used now in, in uh, 22 different countries for food and fodder, uh, but there is no, you know, not yet a, a commercial agriculture for halophytes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in other words, it's uh, very early stage for that is what uh, you're kind of implying. Due to, due to much lower cost because these uh, deserts and wastelands are generally in sunny areas with a lot of solar energy available. Due mm-hmm. to cheap land and cheap water, uh, the current, th- this is the other downside. Uh, uh, the current freshwater agriculture industry uh, is being very challenged by this. Uh, the situation is similar to the renewable energy business where, uh, which is winning now over first coal and now gas and petroleum due to cost. Okay, the renewables are much cheaper, but the entrenched industries over the past several decades have fought this change, you know, all the way along, and, and, and these are very powerful people. So yes. those are the only downsides that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as we're running out of food and fresh water, uh, we will have to go to halophytes, and I'll give you another reason uh, in a little while. Uh, okay. uh, halophytes can can replace with the saltwater agriculture the 70% of the fresh water that's now used for conventional freshwater agriculture. So we're running out of fresh water. And and a part of the, a major reason for that is we need to use all this fresh water for agriculture. So if we uh, switch to animal to saltwater agriculture, you know all of that fresh water is available, and we're no longer running out of fresh water for direct human use. Uh, as I said, currently some uh, 22 nations are pursuing halophytes for food and and for animal fodder. Uh, I have worked with Boeing. Boeing is now producing aircraft fuel from halophytes grown in the United Arab Emirates. And Mm -hmm. also friends of mine are growing uh, uh, airplane fuel via halophytes in uh, farms in northern Mexico. The the halophytes would green huge areas, which are now brown, and they sequester some 18% of their CO2 uptake in their deep desert roots. And the saline water evaporates as fresh water and produces an unstable atmosphere and fresh water rain where there's now no rain. So if as we do this in northern Africa, the Sahara, uh, this would stop the desertification of the sub-Sahara and put rainfall back in the Middle East and regrow the cedars of Lebanon. Oh, so overall, yeah. overall, and you know, absolutely with respect to capability and capacity and cost, halophytes can in five to ten years, with current technology, affordably solve, not play with, solve land, water, food, energy, and climate. Nothing else comes anywhere close as in the same league with with this massive capacity. Uh, for freshwater agriculture, we have pumped much of the freshwater aquifers, and what's left in the aquifers is increasingly saline. So as we pump that increasingly saline water onto freshwater agriculture land, that land's becoming salinated, so we'll have to switch to halophytes, okay, going forward, even for the Arab Anyway. 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 But okay. am I right if I hear you saying here, Dennis, that the, the process of uh, vaporization uh, is almost the plant acting as a, as a desalination system naturally? No. Uh, uh, the plants have depending on species, uh, two or three different ways to to isolate the salt. Uh, You know, that's the characteristic of a halophyte. The the evaporation is is simply cellular evaporation. In other words, as you irrigate land, uh, all right, the water evaporates. And and it also evaporates off of the 
you know, leaves of the plants, which is far more fresh than what you irrigated it with. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what I mean is by the use, but what I'm hearing is that by the increased use of halophytes, then the freshwater reserves will be able to be utilized for direct human and other application instead of for irrigation purposes and agriculture. Yes. To the extent that you replace halophytes with arable land, current freshwater agriculture. Now, just like the the, uh, uh, carbon-based, you know, energy fought the renewables, okay, uh, I fully expect that the freshwater agriculture is going to fight halophyte agriculture. You mean just on an economic political level? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But short of that, from a pure ecological, systemic, and scientific point of view, uh, the halophyte has it far over the use of freshwater-based agriculture. Yes, to the extent that uh, you can have sources of salt water, okay, which are in some proximity. Uh, most of the desert areas are, in fact, near salt water. Uh, the Atacaba mm-hmm. in, in Chile, uh, the southwest U.S., uh, the, the Sahara all around the Middle East, the Arabian Sea, uh, these are the major desert areas, and, and they're huge. Uh, uh, we did sums just for the Sahara, and you can, on the Sahara, uh, replace all the petrochemical feedstock for plastics. You can replace all of the fossil carbon that's that's uh, left because we now generate 25% of electricity from renewables anyway, and that's going to mm-hmm. go way up as mm-hmm. we go forward. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, those 22 countries that you referenced are those largely in the African Union and the Middle East. Do you want to uh, name a few of them? They, they, they are all over the place, uh, and, and in fact, yeah. some of them are, are island nations. Uh, I oh, yeah. uh, I spent some time South working Pacific. working with the the government of of the Netherlands, the the plenipotentiary. That that is responsible for Aruba. Uh, okay, the Netherlands owns Aruba, which you may have heard of, and oh. and uh, this is a a desert island. The uh, upwind portion, the, the eastern portion of of the island, is nothing but a desert, and Aruba has to import all of their water. They have to import all of their fuel, and if they grew halophytes on their Eastern version, uh, uh, you know, Eastern region, uh, mm-hmm. they could grow their their uh, fuel and 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 also grow food, and uh, don't have to import the water. I mean, now you mean Aruba in the Caribbean? Yes. Oh my! So then, what and, goes for Aruba and, would also go for the other Caribbean. Uh, Island nations as well. Oh yes, yes. So, well, well, I mean, some of them have some rain. Okay, Haiti has some rain in the mountains, but but uh, yeah. and the Cuba has some in their mountains, but but uh, no, 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 you know, and uh, you know, a, overall, a great many nations, uh, you know, are adjacent to salt water, uh, and that includes uh, you know all kinds of of uh, lakes which are salty. However, uh, on the Sahara, there are huge under-the-desert aquifers, uh, especially the Nubian aquifer, which is in the, in the eastern end of the Sahara, with, with a huge capacity. You could do uh, you know, halophyte agriculture on the Sahara without pumping the Mediterranean or the North Atlantic. You could just pump the Nubian aquifer for about 50 or 60 years. And, and you have all of this nice, cheap photovoltaics, which, as we discussed previously, sure. is you know is now down to two cents a kilowatt hour and dropping like a stone uh, yes. to to uh, do the pumping. So, you know, our estimates of of the cost of doing halophyte agriculture is far less than freshwater agriculture. Fascinating. And as I mentioned to you earlier, 
about uh, wind technology I'm working with now, now that uh, drops the cost to not only under a penny, actually. I didn't tell you the whole truth. It's actually to about a third of a penny per kilowatt hour. But, you know, it, it seems so extraordinary. I don't even like to share that with people. But, yes, I mean, overall, there is this profound reduction in the cost of renewable energies, as it should be, and uh, it is happening to the point that they are, no pun intended, trumping the uh, the uh, fossil fuel market tremendously, and we're observing a radical change in the economics involved here. It's fantastic. Have you done the arithmetic, Dennis, about what would occur if there was truly a greening of the current deserts, the large land masses of desert, desert like the sub-Sahara, Africa, etc., and how that would shift the the uh, issue of global warming because the oxygen levels would be restored and the sequestration levels would be increased? All right. Let me start from the basics. Uh, over the centuries, as uh, as a CO2 has, has been produced, it, it was fairly stable for a long time because about half of it would go into the forests and the land plants and the other half would go into the ocean. There has now been so much that the ocean has taken up that it's turned the oceans into weak carbonic acid, and uh, the ocean uptake is dropping. And, of course, weak carbonic acid is killing the algae and all kinds of other problems. But uh, then we're cutting down the forest. You know, we we, we are now cutting down the forest. So the... The CO2, you know, not only are we putting out tremendous amounts of CO2, uh, some hundred times greater than the CO2 from the Siberian traps, volcanoes that that, that uh, instituted the, the Permian extinction, the Great Dying, uh, mm-hmm. but we have now uh, shorted on the CO2 uptake. Uh, the the halophytes would would green areas where we cut down the forest. And at one time, the Sahara was a green area, and we can re-green that. Uh, you know, there are still some issues about if you make all of these nice, cool green things to, to, to take care of warming, you know, what do you do to weather and uh, mm-hmm. you know, global circulation? That we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Is there a hypothesis of what would happen if no, no, we... no, no, don't know because it's a very nonlinear system. Yes, yes, yes. But if the, uh, is there anything in the exploration of halophytes that you've encountered, Dennis, that would have some effect on the melting of the ice caps and the permafrost? <laughs> Uh, the <laughs> Why not have fun the, and go for broke? <laughs> well, well, the, uh, uh, the melting is is a function of uh, two things. One is the CO2 in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is affected by all the stuff we've been, uh, you know, discussing and 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 more, and that uh, whole. Uh, climate change is now accelerated by what are called positive feedbacks. There is mm-hmm. five major positive feedbacks which we have now triggered and are starting up, and that's why the actual changes are running at the top of or greater than the IPCC projections. And mm-hmm. and and that includes the fossil methane, which is coming out of the tundra, which is warming twice as fast sure. as the rest of the planet. And yeah. so methane is 22 times worse than CO2. So it's a lot more times? than just the CO2. It's now the methane. Yeah. It's all kinds of other stuff. I've heard between 75 and 100 times worse. So it's interesting to hear you say 22. So I guess maybe there is a bit of a range. Yeah, it's 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 22 to 28. I, I I've not okay. seen a credible number higher than that. Uh, unless okay. they're 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 talking about secondary effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what's interesting so talking about is, those positive feedback loops, are you saying that even with the uh, the institution of halophytes on mass, uh, 
those five feedback loops will kind of continue because it's a nonlinear system and it's going to take even a whole lot more than maybe we've even conceived to reverse those loops. Uh, they just, the people that publish the estimates uh, just came out a couple weeks ago and said, well, the water rise isn't going to be what we told you. It's going to be twice that. Uh, people have done guesstimates of these positive feedbacks. I've only discussed one. There's five of them. Uh, and their effects are the order of, some have guesstimated, twice what the IPCC projections are. And so, and you know, that's not pleasant. Uh, right. The, to put it mildly. When, the, the, the glaciers in the Himalaya areas are, feed almost all of the major Eurasian rivers from the Indus and the Ganges and the Brahmaputra around through the Mekong to the Yellow and the Yangtze and so forth. As those glaciers melt, and they're melting fast now, one-sixth of the world's population will lose their fresh water. Oh, oh, it's mm -hmm. it just, it's, it's a stout. Staggering. Uh, yeah. You know, as, so when as you, you say it goes beyond and, the IPCC. And, and, you know, as you I'm say, sorry. look at the nonlinear aspects and, and you know, yes. so forth. Yes. Yes. So uh, when you say now, that the it's Permian, beyond. The Permian is known as the Great Dying, and it was triggered by massive Siberian volcanoes, but what, ended up killing why it's called the great dying why why it ended up killing about 96% of the species uh is that the ocean thermohaline circulators died uh the gulf stream and others are starting to slow down now and as they died the oceans went anoxic low oxygen and oh. that allowed the overgrowth of uh, cyanobacteria, i.e. anoxic uh, uh, algae, which then produce massive amounts of hydrogen sulfide, the rotten egg gas. And in a small percentage in the atmosphere, this is a deadly poison. And also, all that sulfur went up and took down the ozone layer. And that's evidently what ended up, you know, so... So, so, you know, warming in climate is far more than a warm day and wet feet. Uh, yeah. You know, this is existential. Surely, surely. No, this is a threat to life as we know it from oh, yeah. beginning to end. This is why it conjures, and uh, many scientists have said that the sixth extinction is underway. And these are the signs and symptoms. It's not like it's something that may happen. It is already underway. So when you make the statement that the institution implementation of halophytes en masse could actually reverse this serious and actually somewhat long-term trend that is a result of anthropogenic activity over the last several hundred years, uh, this is a big, big statement, and that's why I'm looking to under, uncover the kind of the facts behind that statement. Well, it's a matter of capacity, okay? Uh, uh, a lot of people that, that work various climate approaches, you know, if they're totally successful, it doesn't move the mark very much. Halophytes mm -hmm. have just massive capacity. And, uh, you, you know, nothing uh, – we have bad problems with the ecosystem crush. We have mm -hmm. bad problems uh, emerging with, with water and food shortages. Uh, people are always looking for land and, yes. uh, you know, energy and so forth. And, and this will solve land, water, food, energy, and climate at the so requisite – capacity necessary to do that planet-wise. How would you describe what that capacity would need to be? Just like there are statements that have been 
promulgated that we need to plant um, a certain number of trees per year, you know, something on the order of magnitude of, you know, many billion trees worldwide in order to sequester, to make up for what you were saying before of the oceanic uh, acidification and that it's already sort of topped out, if you will, the Amazon rainforest due to the actions of so many uh, from Bolsonaro quite, you know, literally to many other uh, activities taking place for soybean and cacao and gold mining, et cetera, et cetera, in the Amazon. It's also happening in the Congo, the lungs of the planet. Oh, all right. All right. If, how do you, if we, how do you, if we what grow do we need? What's halophytes, the scale we need? If we, if we grow halophytes for food, for fodder, for petrochemical feedstock, and for biomass, for energy, Okay, we will cover the planet green instead of trees. Mm-hmm. Instead of, okay. Yeah. So it's quicker and easier. You're also yes. saying, sure, sure. I mean, it's yes. virtually immediate. Virtually. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. And, no, and what do you and, see as the generator of this? Yeah, I'm sure and, you don't and see it as government, these are, seeing as you work for government, but business, I take it. Well, the Joint this is, I think, a uh, very interesting financial situation. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, you know, how much does an acre of land in the middle of the Sahara cost? Right? It's pretty cheap. Uh, how, how much does seawater cost compared to freshwater? And it turns out as we pump the atmosphere and uh, I'm sorry, pump the aquifers and uh, you know left the saline water and and uh, you know ninety seven percent of the water is seawater. The, mm-hmm. the other two and a half percent is freshwater, of which almost all of it is tied up in. The Great Lakes, Lake Baikal, glaciers, the ice at the, in Antarctica and Antarctica. Yeah, it's locked and, up. It's locked and, up. And, and in underground rivers and so forth, okay? The, the amount of, of, of water that, that we end up dealing with is in the... It's fractional. Hello? Oh, it looks like... We lost the connection to Dennis. I'm sure he'll call in momentarily. So let me take a moment to say that uh, this is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World Radio. We're on every week talking with the sung and the unsung heroes of society. We have a free newsletter, which you can access and sign up for at www.abetterworld.tv. That's www.abetterworld.tv, although they say that We don't need to say the triple W anymore. So you have it. Uh, We're on television every Monday evening in New York City and Manhattan at 7 p.m., although you can also watch it through our website, abetterworld.tv. In the upper right-hand corner, it says click to watch. You get there on a couple of minutes before 7 p.m. EDT, Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Time. You will be able to... uh, watch us from anywhere so I welcome you to do same so I see that Dennis has re-arrived Dennis we lost you there for a moment yes I know it's 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 uh, the beauty of of uh, the electrical atmosphere when it's 100 degrees huh? <laughs> yes exactly it has some effects on our our communication so I'm glad you're back so uh, I just did our little uh, occasional advertisement of a better world so you're right on time. Pick up where you okay. left off. All right. Well, I'd forgotten what I was talking about, so ask me something. Okay, fine. Sure. We were looking at the financial potential and opportunity that awaits us. So I said, uh, you know, ultra-cheap land, ultra-cheap yes. water. Yes. Uh, the uh, people at uh, University of Nottingham with ways to – 
not have to use nitrogen fertilizer, use fertilizer, uh, I'm sorry, nitrogen out of the atmosphere. Uh, and uh, the ubiquity of, of the availability of this stuff uh, means that uh, you can set yourself up in the agriculture business and do the food, fodder, uh, 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 feedstock, uh, petrochemical feedstock, and, and uh, you know, energy extremely uh, cheaply. Yeah. And the markets for all of this are massive. And you you add to the fact that, that I think an increasing number of people, as climate change has become ever more obvious and ubiquitous, uh, yes. And worrisome, uh, you know, would uh, tend to uh, buy from such people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you know, I want to bring up. I, I, I'm. I, I think that what you're saying has such great validity and future business potential, and I'm all for it. But one of the things that we find today, even short of development of of halophytes as a food source is that food waste is prevalent across the planet. And the reason that people are food insecure is not because there isn't enough food even as of today, but the political will to get the food uh, that's needed in certain areas to those areas. So how would you address yeah, that issue in light a, of the larger a picture? perennial problem, particularly in Russia over the years. And you know, yes. and in other places. Uh, yes. And it's a a transportation and storage problem and a financial problem. Yes. Uh, all of those together. And I would say also a corruption it, problem with well, local officials. Well, that's financial problem. <coughs> yes. Uh, so uh, you know, that's really a separate problem uh, mm-hmm. from you know producing this stuff in a, a climate eco-friendly manner to start with. You, you know, what the humans do to it afterward is is engendered by the humans. Yes, yes, yes. But from a, you know, from an ecosystemic point of view, which is what we're mainly talking about, and some smart, ambitious entrepreneurs who have the vision to take this halophyte subject and run with it could be doing so much good regarding sequestration of food production, of preserving uh, freshwater sources, of taking the biomass and using it instead of petroleum-based biomass for the development of any number of products, including what we have today as plastics, etc. It, it, it's like its own holistic factory, if you will, is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the issue is that there's an entrenched infrastructure and set of investments which people are very loath to give up. And, and, you know, this has held back renewable energy. It's held back a great many things. Uh, yeah. We humans uh, evolved over the past million years, a part of our brain called the amygdala that, that keeps us conservative. Uh, some of us, like me, are amygdala deficient, but, but you know, most people are not. <laughs> and so, so change is hard, okay, any kind yeah. of change. Good change, bad change, yeah. any, any change is hard. A- yeah. And... While the Chinese have a 1,000-year planting cycle and the Japanese 140 years, the U.S. planting cycle is generally the next quarter on Wall Street to the four-year presidential cycle. It's only when we have a flaming datum, smoking gun, like we do now with finally with climate after decades, uh, yeah. that, that, that you know people will seriously start to think about changing things and and then what gets changed is uh, is the things that have massive financial benefits mm-hmm. and that's why renewables are being used because they're becoming so bloody cheap yes yes 
Yeah, it's so interesting that the economic motive, after all, is the thing that will allow for for adventure and for change. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought up the amygdala because that is uh, so much of our issue. It because it, uh, you're right. It, this is a, in many ways it's a biological matter. You know, the brain is designed to keep us alive, of course, from moment to moment, and anything that threatens that. Uh, becomes problematic and the system will seek to do what it always did because it worked already to maintain uh, survival so it takes the operation of let's say uh, prefrontal cortex to make a different type of executive decision to make another type of uh, effort or take a different type of action so I'm wholly aligned with you. Uh, that's why it's people of greater consciousness, if you will, that are leading the pack in the world of renewable energy and uh, the appreciation of the photon. So, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So what do you see as what can generate the type of interest and excitement in this new space of what you call the last planetary renewable resource? Uh, from my rather extensive experience with, with the renewable energy uh, journey, uh, I would say someone has to do this, well, two things. One is you uh, you have to establish firmly the need for this. And, uh, you know, that's, that's easy. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone has to then show that uh, this is a real money maker by factors of two to five, okay, big factors. If if yeah. you can show that, then the first action that needs to be taken is to uh, sponsor research in the agricultural, uh, you know, institutions, research institutions to. Uh, produce the burpee seed catalog, the plants, and so forth, and someone puts together a Department of Agriculture uh, circular on the how-to for, you know, halophytes. You need to add some more water. You need to do this. You need to do that. There's not much, but there's a few things. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm just so interested in, you know, the idea that Paul Hawkins speaks of, of reversing global warming and see this is a a big statement in itself and his book draw down the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming is uh it's a profound statement and it's audacious and i appreciate it uh it speaks about refrigeration management as what scientists worldwide have decided is sort of the most threatening of all and the greatest generator of of greenhouse gases. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, we, NASA, I, I think, did the uh, space uh, research to prove that there was a problem with Freons uh, for the ocean hole and, and all the other business. Uh Refrigeration is part of the issue. Uh, a, a huge percentage of the electricity. Uh, okay, first of all, uh, uh, electricity is like 40, 45% of the CO2 generation. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's before renewables and so forth. Uh, there's another huge percentage of it, which is uh, which is buildings. That's another 40% of it or something. Uh, you know, then there's the, there's the transportation and whatnot, which is another yeah. thirty or so. Okay, so the the issue with this is uh, how much of of uh, of this would you address if you did you know air conditioning? Air conditioning mm-hmm. is part of the. Forty percent that's industrial and other things, and much of that is electric motors. Buildings, mm-hmm. buildings, yeah, yeah, and 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 a lot of the building, yeah. the, the HVAC stuff. This is electric motors, and mm-hmm. and electric motors have over the past ten years uh, become far more efficient. 
and they're still becoming ever more efficient. Uh, mm-hmm. I personally replaced all of my appliances and washing machines and stuff that had electric motors in them, and I cut my electric bill flat in half. Okay. Mm. And what and, did you replace them with? Uh, Just more you, you efficient know, ones? And, you know, that's only going to get better. So, and in the terms of just of of straight air conditioning, there's some Stanford people recently who who published a way to use radiation to deep space for air conditioning. Fascinating. Oh, really? Okay. What? How? Pardon? How? How did they use radiation from deep space for well, you, you refrigeration know, you here on the, planet Earth? Uh, uh, you know, at the right wavelengths. Okay. You know, you the atmosphere is, you know, allows transmission of certain wavelengths and not others and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Surely. you have to take the energy so that it, it, you know, radiates in a wavelength which will go through the atmosphere to deep space. So you're saying this could be a means of providing refrigeration yes. or air conditioning? Yes. Yes. An entirely new paradigm of doing so. Uh, yeah, and it's at the research stage. It's a university research, and you know, which I collect. But you know, there are there are a great many ways to do things. Uh, you know, a lot of the refrigeration is on food, and you can take and process food differently, so you don't mm-hmm. need refrigeration. Uh, as as the climate warms, we're going to have to keep the buildings a little cooler, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, we can use uh, geothermal and, and, and other ways to do that. And mm-hmm. you know, cheaper electric motors, and we're in business. The, the, the Germans are working on uh, seasonal energy storage. They're they're storing cold in the winter and heat in the summer. Uh, I went up to Princeton one time in the late 70s in the era of oil embargo business when we were worried about energy, and mm-hmm. I uh, pulled in, into the Forestall Lab parking lot, and and there, this is in January. Uh, is a garden hose spurting water uh, in, in you know into the air. So mm-hmm. I, I went in and asked the faculty that I was giving a seminar to. I said, uh, "What are you doing out there?" And they said, "We're making an iceberg, and 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 we tent the iceberg in the summertime, and we run our air conditioner off it." Uh, if you go to Cornell, okay, they have a lake uh-huh. and. And they tap into various levels of the lake depending upon, you know, what they need for temperature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we have not begun to be as clever as we think we are. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, no, I, I totally appreciate it. And you, uh, of all people, you're on the you're, – you're also considered, and I didn't mention this uh, – a futurist. I mean, you're part of the World Futurist Society, and, and you know you're part of that cutting edge, small group of people who are always looking forward to what's next and disrupting the current paradigm. So it's a pleasure to hear you, you know, begin to share with us some of those uh, forward-looking technologies and research that are taking place like this. It's fascinating. What, in light of the larger arc of conversation regarding global warming leading to, you know, accelerated climate change, and, and I very much tend to frame it that way, uh, what are the other elements that you think that we could do as a society that will help to roll back the ill effects and advance the positive ones? Uh, well, one thing that may be of interest is uh, we, we are now changing from the industrial age to the IT age, heading into the virtual age. And in the IT age, we now do tele-everything. We do mm-hmm. telework, telecommuting, teleshopping, teleeducation, telemedicine, telecommuting, yeah. 
uh, uh, telecommerce is, you know, is endemic now with uh, printing, telemanufacturing. And uh, uh, people have done studies of of the benefits climate-wise of teleshopping. And mm-hmm. it turns out, even with the delivery and all the rest of it, that uh, teleshopping uh, is close to one-thirtieth to one-fiftieth of the effects on the climate. Uh-oh. Not getting in your car and driving around town and spending yeah. a day looking for something and so forth uh, makes a big difference. Uh, mm, interesting. Uh, well, yeah. that's just yeah. one little thing. I mean, that's not going to too much, but it's something yeah. you know individuals can do. And 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 you know, as we tele-travel, okay, there, there is now five senses: virtual reality, haptic taste, touch, smell, sight, and sound. Mm-hmm. With with five senses virtual reality, you can walk down a tropical beach virtually. You can feel the sand, uh, feel the breeze, and smell the wind. Uh, you can do this at any time you want, anywhere you want, uh, be with anyone you want, and do anything you want. Mm. And this makes a great vacation. And there's yes, some hundred million people worldwide who who you know who are now doing this seriously. That many. There are only one well, or two I mean, little problems. There's though, a, 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 you're a actually huge not population that, 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 that does these online gaming. Well, sure. It's an even bigger population. Yes, okay? indeed. So, 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 you know, as and if you look at the miles driven per person per year, uh, it's been dropping. And it's been dropping because we are tele-everything. Mhm. Mhm. But relative okay, so, to the so, virtual reality point, I mean, everything is good except you're actually not gaining the higher quality of oxygen that you would be if you were on a beach in the Caribbean. You may be having the experience of the sand under your feet sensorily, but you're not literally biologically, biochemically getting the benefit of that sand on your feet, are you? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. We are wet electrochemistry. Okay. Uh, some people led some ninety percent of our mental capacity evolved to handle the social interactions. Uh, the social interactions are going virtual. Uh, what the effect on our physiology, upon our health, of our mental state is supposedly fairly major. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, and Not if even we supposed, really need oxygen, it is. Yeah. you know, if we really need oxygen, we, we, we can certainly give you a very inexpensive oxygen production gadget to put, you know, put in your house. Yes. Yes. You know, and that's sure. a good new market. Well, no, you know, I, in the larger scheme of things, what you're saying, I, I mean, the human body is also not only a chemistry, but in some way an alchemy machine. So if it is oxygen that we need, we do have means of manufacturing it. So yes. having the mental state that you are were referring to, and I, it was a quick comment, but it didn't escape me, uh, could actually have the needed effect on our physiology to produce exactly the chemical or the element we need. Oh yeah, so. yeah. Now, what's happening? Do you happening find that is, to be true as a NASA scientist, not just uh, in you know conversation? Uh, the currently, uh, the, the, uh, people allege that there that there's no natural evolution anymore. That 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 the humans are evolving things some million times faster than any natural evolution. One of the things we're evolving is the humans themselves. Uh, physiologically, with uh, CRISPR and designer people and so forth coming along, but mm-hmm. also uh, we're becoming cyborgs. We have cochlear yeah. implants to hear. We have artificial retinas, artificial hearts, artificial limbs. We're printing organs and brain chips. We, we, we have 100,000 people wandering around with brain chips in their head, Defects congenitally defective brains, and DARPA is working on super soldiers. 
Okay, so, you know, what's going to happen to humanity is going to be interesting. Uh, The other aspect of this is we are looking at uh, various special uh, uh, life forms, okay, which evolve in uh, deep uh, pools in, in, in Yellowstone, under the ocean, everything else, uh, which are able to respond and prosper in very nasty conditions like we're producing with this climate change. Mm-hmm. So we can, going forward, evolve the humans if we absolutely have to, to stand whatever mess we do with the climate. Yes. Yes. We are extremely adaptable, even though yes. we have altered things uh, you know, profoundly in ways that our our hearts and souls are very disturbed about. On the other hand, we do adapt. And when life is most stressful and adverse, we become even better at adapt adaptation. Yeah, but but there are studies that show that the rate of, of technical change is becoming so rapid that mm-hmm. uh, people are starting to lose it. Uh, we see an uptick in psychosomatic illness rate. We see an uptick in road rage, workplace rage, school rage, and so forth. Uh, We see evidence that uh, uh, the population is getting destabilized somewhat. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As in essentially emotionally destabilized, correct? That the variables impinging upon us and the flow of information it's more like an avalanche is so great that it is overwhelming uh, human psychology and biology well think about how we lived two decades ago before the web okay before a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. and then you know fast forward it now If, if if you look at the economy okay with the machines taking the jobs and so forth Look at the developing gig economy. Mm-hmm. It's massive. Yes. With no benefits, with all the other problems with it. Okay. That's yes. where people are going. Okay. When we have this 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 you know very low unemployment, uh, an awful lot of it is people working for themselves, trying to sell stuff or or provide services on a web. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's and it's not five or ten percent. It's it's three or four times that. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you know that that's there's a whole slew of psych, sociological and psychological reasonings I think behind that, as well as economic. Uh, but people are feeling so. I mean that we've been. You know, this is moving our conversation in some way away from what we started out with, but nonetheless, it's interesting and impactful. You know, we, we live in a corporatocracy and uh, it's having some very ill effects and the younger generations don't want to abide by it. That's one way of looking at, at this movement that you're talking about, the gig economy and people not wanting to be participating in what was the status quo for so many decades. It's 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 not so much in many cases a question of not wanting to participate. It's a question of that's the only way to earn a living. That's another thing. I, mean, I think it's it, it's some combination of the two. You know, there's uh, it's it's okay. complex. I mean, and it's also brought together with the fact that more and more people can't even afford their own home or even their own apartment to, or house to rent. So they're staying with their families for longer periods of time. So, yep. I mean, everything is skewed from the way it was, really, as you are saying, just 20, 25 years ago. There's been okay. a rapid uh, change. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're probably almost out of time. Do you want to get back to Halifites? I do. I'd like to. I was going to use this these comments as a way of, circling back to it so we can okay. um, make the final points about the benefits in the job market as well as, you know, in business and industry. Uh, you know, here we're showing 
in a sense, from this conversation, how far astray we have gone from, you know, what were the norms just 20, 30 years ago. And now we have the presence of an entirely new space for, uh, for exploration. No pun intended, speaking to a NASA scientist. So could you just elaborate upon that just a, a few more minutes? That would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there is Pardon the bad puns. I can't control them. <laughs> uh, there's a movement arising, which is like the 60s, early 70s, back to the land movement. Uh, before the Industrial Age, there were very few jobs. Uh, people lived on their own holdings and so forth. Uh, uh, jobs are an artifact of the Industrial Age. And yes. we're now moving away from jobs. The gig economy is kind of a halfway job. Uh, you, you can, on a half acre, and there's six acres available to everybody now, uh, well, on a half acre, grow your own food. You can do your own distributed generation for electricity and, and, and to cut the cord. Many people are doing that now. Mm-hmm. You can uh, also do your printing for you know whatever you want to make going forward. 3D printing. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can do, you you can do uh, telemed, teleed, and uh, by the time you get through doing all of this, you don't need a job. Yes. The cost of living has been driven down, you're saying. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I have a good friend living on on the top of a circular bluff in southern Utah, not connected to anything except electrons. Works (laughs) fine. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And it costs them almost nothing to live. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Beautiful example. Beautiful example. And so the advent and the furtherance of of halophytes that would be both providing, let's say, business opportunities, not necessarily jobs in the in the classic sense, uh, but entrepreneurial uh potential, uh and all of the so called downstream benefits ecosystemically. It's like the biggest gift we could possibly explain and or or explore at this point in time. Perfect. Dennis Bushnell, a total pleasure to have you on today and to uh, look into, explore, and uh, use our imagination together to discuss these very vital matters. I, I so appreciate all the work that you have been doing for so long and uh, continuing to bring it to the foreground. So my, my great thanks to you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. We'll have to continue this. That was Dennis Bushnell, scientist from NASA, who is deeply involved, as you just heard, in uh, new approaches to environmental issues. And with this subject of halophytes, and its development, uh, you know, has hit upon, you know, you could say the mother load. That's very much what I gathered from the work that he's been doing. And I want to say a big shout out and thank you to my dear friend and colleague, Hazel Henderson, who uh, kindly introduced Dennis and myself, and whose work in ethical markets continues to roar forward and make such a contribution to the thinking and to the education uh, across the world in regard to renewable energy and the promulgation of a green economy. So, Hazel, thank you so much. So that's it for today's show. I want to just thank all of you for tuning in and uh, paying attention to these very vital matters that can really help to create sustainability and vitality for us all here on planet Earth. Uh, Remember that we are a 501c3, so any extent of contribution you can make to us helps us to survive and thrive on the air. Our 
website again is www.abetterworld.tv and to get in touch with me directly would be at my uh, direct uh, personal email address of mjr at abetterworld.net that's mjr my initials at abetterworld.net we also offer a series of very healthy organic uh, nutritional products and different types of stress management energy balancing and coaching services so just visit us at our couple of websites abetterworld.tv get on our mailing list if you're not already and mitchellraben.com so thanks again for joining today I so appreciate it. And forward this to your friends and family and colleagues so they can get the benefit of it as well. So on that note, thanks again. And this is Mitchell J. Raven signing off. We'll see you next week. 